you're joining with us online. So good to have all of you uh, as well. If you're visiting, we've been getting on our knees every week, and we want to get back into Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be picking up with verse 4, reading verses 4 through 7, Hebrews chapter 11. You have your Bibles handy if you don't have a Bible. Use an online one. There's some good ones out there. But starting with verse 4, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of these things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Let's pray again. Father, we need your faith. We need, Jesus, you to give us an increase in faith as the apostles prayed. We need, Lord, to grow in faith and to mature in faith. And, Lord, if our faith is weak here today, we pray that you strengthen it by your grace. Lord, we leave behind anything that would impede that growth, any sin, Lord, wash it, cleanse it. Lord, we want to walk as these men four to 6,000 years ago did, faithfully. But we can't do it without your help, Lord. We are faithless, but you remain faithful. So we ask for your help. Help me, Lord, remove me from the equation as I preach, but Lord, uh, preach to me as I preach and teach to your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And the opening three verses of chapter 11, as we looked at last Sunday, we saw the definition and declaration of faith. So if you go back to, and you read verses 1 through 3, you'll see that declaration of faith, that definition of faith. And a major part of that definition is that true faith is visible. It's what saved and transformed lives are built upon. It's the certainty that we as believers stand on. Are you certain that Jesus is alive? Are you certain that he's at the right hand of God? Are you certain that he has saved your soul? Then you have something to stand on. That's faith. It's not, we can't visibly see heaven, but we absolutely know that's our home. Aren't you glad this world is not your home? If this world is your home, you've got really bad news because it not only is a mess now, it's going to get a lot worse. But heaven heaven. We can stand firm knowing that that's our home. So as we move into this next section and the entirety of chapter 11, we see the definition and declaration of faith lived out. Now it's going to be lived out in in real lives that took place in history. In other words, we're looking at the application of faith in the lives of men and women that just like us had to put their trust in God or they could choose to put their trust in themselves and this world. Everyone has that choice. You can trust in God or you can trust in ADT, your 401K. 
your job, your career, your health, which could fade rather quickly. I was watching the other night a movie that had Patrick Swayze in it. Remember, he was, he was all ripped and all the ladies, said, man, that guy. I mean, but, it, but look what cancer can do to a body. I'm not, I mean, it's, it's sad. I wish he was still alive. I wish a lot of people were still alive. But God says, appointed unto man wants to die. And so we have to have faith in something that's greater than ourselves. Amen? Everyone has his choice. And this examination of faith lived out goes all the way back to the first family on earth and focuses on three men that lived before God poured out judgment on the world in the form of a worldwide flood. All three men lived before the flood. Of course, Noah lived through it. But even the early days of Moses and Israel, they would consider these men the ancients. Even in Moses' time, they would consider these men ancient. Now, they're really ancient for us, way back there. Those that knew God and were faithful to God in the pre through it, but the writer goes back to the earliest point in human history to lay the framework of faith. And there will always be a requirement to come to God by faith. And that was the way it was from the beginning. You could never come to God apart from faith. That's the point that's being made, that if you go all the way back to the beginning of time, our earliest ancestors, they all had to come. Now, when we come by faith, we get to receive something. Grace. Amen? Grace. The mercy of God. Moses would find the mercy seat. Now, of course, there, again, there were other men and women in the pre-flood world, but these are the three that the Holy Spirit focuses on. And by the way, it's taken for granted, even by us as believers, but it shouldn't be taken for granted. But only the Bible, only the Bible tells us about the lives of those that lived at the dawn of history. Isn't that amazing? You know, we see people get, they, they, they go to the museums and they, get a, they, they walk up and they have this clay caveman. And like his teeth are all buck teeth and everything like that and his hair is all matted and stuff like that. And you can imagine like if Noah and all them, they would just face plant if they saw this picture. They'd be like, we lived then. We were smarter than you. Because sin hadn't taken full effect. We lived way longer lives. We had intelligence. But only the Bible tells us how people actually lived all the way back in those times. Then again, only the Bible gives us the actual words of God himself. Whatever God records, we're wise to study and take note. Amen? The faith we'll be reading about today and in coming weeks is what God desires to see take place in us. Not just in the past, now in us. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, The Beginnings of Faith. And the first thing we want to take a look at this morning, the first point I've titled is Worship by Faith. Did I go through? One second here. You guys can give me an advance. I'm not sure why it didn't, but there we go. Worship by Faith, Abel's sacrifice. So we start with Abel here. You had two brothers same parents, they lived in the same place, same environment, same instructions from God, both brothers. Two very different responses. Would you agree? Cain and Abel, very different responses. The issue was the heart. Worship always starts in the heart. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside, God looks where? In the heart. Cain and Abel may have looked. Matter of fact, Cain may have looked more spiritual on the outside. 
Some people have a spiritual look. John the Baptist, he's walking around in camel skin. All the, the priests that would come and mock him and question him, they, they looked holy. John looked like the riffraff. Nevertheless, God looks at the heart. He looks at our will. I remember years ago hearing the story of an atheist attorney who had just railed on Christianity and the whole concept of there being a God who created us. In his mind, the notion that an invisible God gave us some book to understand and to read for salvation it was just utter nonsense to him. He was particularly agitated that people would actually live their lives according to what, as he thought of it, was just some fairy tale written down on pages. Um, things like sin and forgiveness. They were just a construct of ancient religious men in his mind. One Christian acquaintance that he mocked fairly often stopped one day and said, let me ask you, he said this to the atheist attorney, he said, let me ask you one thing. If I could prove to you 100%, zero doubt in your mind, that the scriptures are true, and you need Christ, and you need salvation, would you give your life to God? What do you think the atheist attorney said? He said, no, I would not. The Christian acquaintance answered, that's what I suspected all along. Your position has nothing to do with proof of existence. You simply have no desire to follow God or obey God, even if you knew he existed. And that's always the point of the matter. Cain knew God existed, did he not? He literally talked to God. Abel knew God existed. Your neighbors that profess no knowledge, they know God exists. Romans 1 makes this really clear. This is always the case. Once the knowledge of God is present, there's still a choice. Even when you have the knowledge, you still have a choice. Even when you know your doctor says, you can't eat that much sugar, you still have a choice. We're kind of drawn to it. I know I am. Ride by the Dunkin' Donuts. Don't look at it. Do not look that direction. You know, that kind of thing. We still have a choice. The knowledge of God by no means means an acceptance of God. Did you hear me? The knowledge of God does not mean there's an acceptance of God. His existence or his lordship. And the scriptures make it clear that even when we know the truth, you can accept it or you can reject it. This is the doctrine of free will. I'm speaking to some of you at home right now. I'm talking, I'm some, just so you know, I'm sometimes talking to the camera, sometimes talking to you all. We have a split audience now. I had finally gotten good at just speaking to the camera. And then not one week later, it was... All right, some of y'all can start going back to church. I'm like, anyway, I digress. But when it comes to knowing the truth, we can accept the truth or we can reject the truth. Uh, God and his sovereignty allows us to choose yes or no. We get a yes or no to salvation. We get a yes or no to his grace, a yes or no to what he requires of us. And there's no straddling the fence or negotiation when it comes to responding to God's will. Abel responds with real worship that God accepts, a sacrifice that God accepts. This is by faith. 
Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Not excellent because of what it was, but because his heart was in obedience to God. Yes, it, it involved the shed blood, which was pointing to something. No question about that. But he offered something that really God loved and received. Uh, Jesus said in John 4, Jesus said in John 4 that the Father was seeking what? The true worshipers. The true worshipers. He's always been seeking the true worshipers. Faith in God produces a surrender to God, which produces the sacrifice of worship. That which we assign worth to, to bow before, which is bowing of the will. We have to bow the will. Abel surrendered his will. He trusted the instructions of God. And when he trusted the instructions of God, he was brought into the presence and relationship with God. Cain was even given a personal invite from God for a redo. Did you know that? Cain got a, a redo before he really went way off in rebellion. He was given an opportunity for a redo. But instead of submitting to the authority of God, he went the other direction and killed his own brother. When we reject the mercy and grace of God, we become harder and harder. You wonder how people become so hard. They're, they've resisted God, and they become very calloused. Jesus speaks of Abel as being the first martyr. Did you know that? Jesus calls Abel the first martyr in his own testimony. In fact, all the martyrs of the faith descend from Abel. Uh, what he gave to God was despised. And in your life, and your witness will be despised by people sometimes. They'll be like, you Christians, oh, you're so holy. You think you're so good sitting in your Sunday service. Kurt, you're making everybody sick with the virus now because now you went back to church. You know, all that kind of stuff that, you know, it's, it's, it's anything that stirs animosity. It's always against Jesus is what it really is. Abel literally gave his life and sacrifice to God. His sacrifice was not really just the sacrifice. God saw that he was really giving himself. And when you and I got on our knees earlier, we're saying, Lord, we're giving ourself. Not looking for another lamb from us. That's why he sent Jesus. He gave his life. But he had faith even to the point of death. Would you agree with that? Abel had faith even to the point of death. Abel offered what pleased God. Cain offered what pleased Cain. That's America. We'll give God what pleases us. We like to make a substitute. That's called creating your own religion. It's a pseudo-faith. All men are called to faith, but as Paul states in 2 Thessalonians 3, 2, not all have faith. The, the fundamental difference between born again and not born again is do you believe, and if you really believe, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are becoming new. We talked about that true faith is visible. It is changing because God puts in us the change according to faith and according to grace. But the humble and trusting heart of Abel, based on his faith, uh, he did whatever God said. And whatever God said he should sacrifice, however God said he should worship, 
That's what he did. And that still speaks to us 6,000 years after his death. God is still, still seeking the true worshipers and the obedient worshipers. Let's look at the next brother in faith. It, we'll, meet, we'll meet all these men someday. Isn't that amazing? Someday we'll meet Abel. Yeah, I always think sometimes about Abel, by the way, going back. What was Abel doing when there was no one else in heaven but him? There's no other believers there. Abel gets there, he's like, all right, uh, when's everybody else getting here? You know, um, Abel's there, the angels are there, God's there, and God's like, you get, you're an only child for a while now. You're getting all of my attention. You're the only one in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Abel gets there, and, like, and Enoch strolls in a little later, and uh, I'm here too, and you know, let's look at Enoch. Genesis chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 say this. So all the days of Enoch were 365. See if that, I'm not sure if that's advanced. Maybe it's the battery. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And here it says, Enoch was taken away so he did not see death. Before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So true. To walk with God is to be in harmony with God. And to be in harmony with God is to be in a growing relationship with God. Harmony. Any of you like orchestra music? If they're really good, you know, you don't, you don't get into the L.A. Philharmonic. You know, just, uh, I just started working on a kazoo. You, know, just, just, you get fourth chair. Go on in there. I just started taking lessons for eight weeks. I've been playing violin. Now, these people have to be in harmony. But with harmony comes a beautiful sound. And with harmony with God becomes a beautiful relationship. And Enoch had that relationship. And did you know God wants you and I to have the same relationship? That he wants to walk with us as well? To walk with God, to be in harmony, faith and God calls us to a relationship with God. God doesn't just call us to faith to be statues, but to be in relationship with him. I wouldn't want to be just married to my wife. I want a relationship with my wife. Right? I mean, there's people in history that have had marriages of business contract or convenience or this kingdom, but they didn't really have any relationship. God doesn't like bring us in to say, all right, you, you get on this end of the wing of the house, I'll stay over here and we'll never communicate. Now, we see with Enoch from the very beginning, long before New Testament work of the Holy Spirit, there was this relationship that God intended. The role of faith and salvation uh, is most certainly to save us from something. Would you guys agree with that? Our salvation has saved us from something, literal hell, and separated, by, uh, separated from God. But faith in the Lord also saves us to something. To something. And that's into that personal relationship with God, the Father, and adoption into the family of God. Through what? Through the blood of Jesus through the blood of Jesus. And that relationship begins the second we've received the righteousness of Christ through faith, by grace. Remember, in the Old Testament, each person looked what? Toward the cross. We've got a big cross on the side of the wall over here. In the Old Testament, everyone from Abel all the way till you get to John the Baptist and all those that were there at the return of Christ, they were looking to the cross. 
We, in year 2020, we're looking what? Back. We're looking back in time to the cross. Now, God sits outside of time, stepped into time, but in human beings, we looked either towards it, the coming of Christ, or we looked back to that he already came. And either way, the cross is the center of all of history. So the saints then, they were looking to the coming of Messiah. Enoch was looking to the coming of the Messiah. We in the post-cross resurrection, we look back to the fact that Messiah did in fact come, and Jesus said these words, it is what? Finished. The work of Christ was always fully guaranteed. Do you guys know that? It was, he was slain before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. So in other words, it was guaranteed. God says it's as good as done, and yet it had to be done. And then when Jesus came, he fully confirmed the completion of what God said already would com be completed. But God has always desired that each soul be restored to the communion that was intended in the Garden of Eden. God was walking with men long before sin. And not just in eternity, in heaven, obviously we'll be in that communion with God there, but God wants us to have that now, here today, in our lives now. This was the heart of God all the way from the beginning. Not just a nominal relationship, but a close and getting closer relationship. As we saw with Cain, not everyone wants a relationship with God. A lot of people say, not interested. I have my toys. I have my stuff. I have my awesome vacays. Well, before the virus I did, but all this other stuff. I normally had this kind of stuff. Now I'm just kind of waiting until it comes back. I'll get my sports back. I'll get this back. And I really don't need God. Enoch, he wanted a relationship with God. How about you? Do you want one with God? I mean, if God looks in your heart, does he know you want to be in relationship with him? You're not just checking the box. Understand that the deeper we know God, the deeper our trust in God becomes. The more we know him, the more we trust him. And that trust and that walking with God comes through talking with God and God talking with us. And how is that done? It's a life of prayer. George Mueller said, the longer I go on in service, the more I find that prayer and faith can overcome every difficulty. Now, George Mueller's not in the 11th chapter, but boy, he could be. <laughs> he lived that kind of life. Spurgeon could be. Moody could be. This was written of, of the saints that were even pre-apostolic saints. These were the saints before the New Testament. So the writer is going back to say these were the saints of the Old Testament, the Genesis through Malachi saints. Not even all of them, just, just some of them. But when I look at the life of George Mueller, a man who prayed over everything, you could see how he, he developed such an amazing... People were just, conf, just dumbfounded by his faith, and it was only because he walked and talked with God. And I'm glad, you know, Enoch was walking with God, and I, I like to go on prayer walks. I'm glad you can actually pray not only on your knees. You literally can pray. If you have a job where you drive a lot, you can talk to God a lot. Which would be great. You can turn off the talk radio that will only infuriate you after a while and just talk to God, which will not infuriate you. It will transform you. And just talk to the Lord and, 
when I used to drive a lot, I, I spent a lot of time talking. But you have to make the time, no matter what your course of life is, you have to say, Lord, I'm going to walk with you and talk with you. Whether it's on your knees, whether it's washing the dishes in the kitchen, make, say, Lord, I'm going to talk to you all the time. And the more we do, the more we're not dominated by fear, impatience, anxiousness. All of these things that we feel, not just with the virus, we just feel it with life in general. So we have to be in that relationship talking. and Understand that when Enoch was alive, uh, the scriptures we have today, they weren't even given. You know that, right? Enoch didn't have our Bible. It's possible that Adam wrote some of uh, the earliest parts of Genesis, but they're not the parts that, um, uh, even if he did, uh, they're not those things that we would have in the whole rest of the scriptures written by Moses and all the other prophets and the uh, writers of the apostles and the epistles. So he didn't have that. It was a, di- it was a different dispensation of time in the pre-Noahic flood. Even lifespans were much longer. There's a lot of theories about that, the canopy of the earth, that pe- why did people live close to 1,000 years? In many cases, Methuselah lived the longest. No one made it to 1,000, but you know, he came close. But did you know that in the millennial reign of Christ, people are going to have long lifespans again? Whatever God did in the atmospheric biosphere, whatever it was, or whether it was just that the fallen nature of man hadn't really taken the full effect of the body, whatever it was, that's going to return the millennium reign of Christ. People will live long lives. They still will have to choose again, even in the millennium. Even in the millennium, they're going to have to choose God or the world, themselves or salvation. The choice will still be there even in that final 1,000 years post-tribulation there will still be these longer lifespans, uh, but the lifespans were longer. Uh, in fact, Enoch, he wasn't even middle age when he went home with the Lord at the age of 365. Isn't it interesting that his, that his age, he walked with God and walked up into heaven, basically, at the age of 365. Now, that would be a really amazing lifespan in our lifetime, but that wasn't even middle age in their lifetime. But 365, I believe God's saying something with his life, too. How many days are in the year? 365. Enoch walked with God. God is telling us through the life of Enoch, Enoch's life still testifies this day, that those that walk with God need to walk with God 365. You can't take a day off. Your flesh wants to take a Tuesday off. Don't do it. Your flesh says, I was, in, I was in the spirit on Sunday. The worship was amazing. I took so many notes. I was the best I've ever been. And then Tuesday, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to talk to God. I just want to kind of kick my shoes off and take the day off. That's when the enemy will come in. Part of your relationship with God is not only communion with God, but it actually keeps the enemy at bay. And Enoch was able to stay in that righteous walk and never yielded to the kind of fleshly thing that the world... Do you know in Enoch's lifetime, the world was getting worse and worse and worse? In your lifetime, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Communion with God is really that God puts that bubble around us of the work of the Spirit through faith that we're able to have the whole armor of God on us through communion with God, talking with God, And again, the written word wasn't yet given, but God offered the same one-on-one relationships with anyone that desired, even in the ancient times, to live according to the commands of God. Same as Abel. For Enoch, whatever God's commands were, 
those would be the guiding principles of his life. If God said it, Enoch said, I may not understand it. How many of you understand every single thing God ever says? No. His ways are higher than our ways. If he says to Cain and Abel, this is how I want it done, God's not looking for Cain's improvement on the process. Right? God's not saying, you know, Cain, what do you think? You're one of the more brilliant people on earth. He's not saying to Enoch either. As much as he loved Enoch, you know, when God walks with Enoch, God doesn't say, Enoch, what do you think I should do about the whole future Messiah thing? Enoch just says, what are you going to do about the future Messiah thing? And in some cases, you know what God says? I can't tell you yet. But you're going to have to trust. What's it going to look like? I can't tell you all of that yet. You have things in your life right now you're talking to God. Says, God, what's it? And God says, I can't tell you that. I need you to get on your knees and pray anyway. Well, I don't, Lord, I don't know what to do. I want you to praise me anyway. Lord, I don't, why don't you just say thank you a lot today? That's what God says. That's what having a relationship. It's the, it's the still small voice of the Spirit that constantly corrects me and says, like yesterday, I'd finished doing a bunch of yard work. I'd, I'd, I had a long ministry week. And, I was just, and then I got another task laid on my plate. And I was about to go into my private complaint mode. No one else would see it but me and God. And the Holy Spirit's like, do not complain. Instead, offer thanksgiving. I'm like, I'm thankful for this task <laughs> that, 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 that I get to add to the day and, you know, just one more thing to do. And so, but seriously, when we talk to God, he changes us by bringing us into perspective, his perspective. Faith is living according to the will of God and the guidance of God. And notice the pattern we have here. He says, but without faith it is impossible to believe him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, verse 6, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The pattern, we have to first believe who God is. You have to believe who God is. Not what you want him to be, not what you would like to craft him to be, not what the world says he is, not any of that. You say, Lord, if you say this is who you are, I accept it with no change. You can't change God if you wanted to, but to just yield. The Bible talks about submitting, surrendering, saying, Lord, I accept who you are in all of your holiness and all of your commands. Believe who he is and who he says he is. And then we have to trust in his goodness. But the, the, you, the notice it says that you believe who he is and that he's a rewarder. A lot of people complain about God all the time. Your God is such a killjoy. He's taken away fun from everybody. And you know, you, your God doesn't want anybody to do this. And he has this list of things you can't do. Well, I don't look at God that way because I've been saved. How about you? I look at him as a rewarder, one that is going to someday say, well done, Good but even before, even when I've not done a good job, he still loves me. How about you? Because he's also very gracious and compassionate. So the God I know actually puts up with me, not me putting up with him. And same with you. God says, I I'm going to love you through all of your flaws, through all of your blind spots, through all of that. Enoch wasn't perfect. God was perfecting him. You're not perfect. God's perfecting you if you're walking with him by faith. But we actually have to take those steps. We have to walk 
in the Word. We have to walk in prayer. We have to walk daily. And we have to choose to be in fellowship, not only with the Lord, but with other believers. Warren Wearsby said, we must have both the desire to please Him and the diligence to seek Him. And how do we know this was true of Enoch? Well, the Scriptures plainly tell us. And God always rewards those that say, Lord, I, I can't do this perfectly, but I'm going to do the best I can with the help of your Holy Spirit. And that's taking that step of faith. Same with salvation. We didn't know how saying yes to the gospel was going to change us. We just believed that it would, and lo and behold, it did. Amen? I remember walking forward that aisle. I did not know how this was going to do this, that, or the other, but it did. And Enoch, his life was pleasing to God because it was a life of faith. He trusted that God's ways were the true path of life. And the world around him was drifting further and further away from God. He was at that same time, while the world was becoming more wicked, it was actually advancing towards judgment. Didn't know it at the time. Enoch was actually getting closer and closer. No matter what's happening in the world in America, you actually can be getting closer to God in this pandemic, not farther away. And any other thing that comes and Trust me, future things are coming. You know, I watch the news. I always see shots over the bow that the world doesn't see. Like there was this earthquake in, in Nevada. It was like a 6.5. It landed in the middle of nowhere. It's not by chance it was nowhere. It's God saying someday it's not going to be nowhere. It's going to be somewhere. Get ready now because someday it won't be in the middle of the desert. It will be in the middle of Vegas or it will be in the middle of some other city. And we need to be right now being like Enoch saying, I'm going to get closer to God, not just kind of wait it out and kind of see. Because you don't wait till the ship hits the iceberg like the Titanic. You have your relationship with God ready in case you hit the iceberg. And Enoch was ready. His life was pleasing to God. And it wasn't a boring misery. He had communion with God. Uh, and that brings the peace of God. He literally was walking with God one moment, and the next moment he was in heaven with God, joining Abel and a very small group of believers that were in, in heaven at that time. But he never died. And one quick, quick thing on this before we look at Noah to close out. Uh, some view this as a pre-New Testament picture of the rapture because, again, Enoch is taken up and out before judgment comes. In fact, the word here, taken, it means removed. Um, it also can mean cross over. Uh, which that, you, there's some hymns that kind of have that connotation of us going to be with the Lord. But it does mirror some of the rapture components. And just like Enoch, a walk of faith means that we're ready anytime God calls us home. Amen? That's the, that's the main thing to know. You will probably, most of us, unless the rapture comes, which would be great, if the rapture doesn't come, we will die physically, but never die spiritually. But either way, the rapture, or we die physically like Enoch, we would be ready for God to call us home. Let's close with looking at the life of Noah here. And I call this one working by faith. So we looked at worshiping by faith, walking by faith, and lastly, working by faith. Now we know that Noah, he says, by faith, divinely warned of these things, not yet seen move with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household which he condemned the world. Uh, sometimes preaching is, is pretty direct, isn't it? He said it, it said he condemned the world. They did not. People, you, you preachers, you, you say some things are sin. I don't say anything. Then God says some things are sin. 
He says a lot of things are sin. Matter of fact, the majority of things that people are doing now are of the flesh. They're not always sin, but preaching can be very direct. And Noah was uh, saying whatever God told him to say, and that's not popular. It's certainly not comfortable, but uh, he had a calling. And there's a pre-designed work for you and me to do in our lifetime, whether you're a pastor, whether you're uh, a business person, whatever you do for a living, there's a set of works to be completed, a life of faith and serving the Lord for your life that God has pre before time said, you need to fulfill this list of things that I've given you to do. And God will, like Pilgrim's Progress, get you back on the path again and again to complete the task that he set for you to do. Uh, even the thief on the cross, perhaps the only work he was called to do was the disposition of the countenance from the time Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You can say, what could, what could he accomplish with his life? He doesn't have but hours at that point. He could display gratitude for unmerited grace. That alone, and by the way, the thief on the cross still speaks to us this very day because we actually see his change of heart. Many pastors have read that passage and messages a gazillion times because he didn't live long, but he could display grace. So whether you live minutes or hours, uh, unlike the thief on the cross, Noah didn't have a few short painful hours on a Roman cross of following God. No, Noah was given hundreds of faith-testing years to follow and serve God. Noah lived to the age of 950. Did you all know that? He lived to be 950 years of age. 600 years before the flood, 350 years after the flood. You can get a lot done in 950 years, can't you? Probably. You can build a boat in 950 years, although we, we believe he built it in about 100 years uh, based on the scripture. But, um, or we don't know if he built it in that amount of time, but it was, may have been ready for the last 70 or whatever else, just kind of sitting there idly, which would make even more of a mockery because he endured a lot in this time. If you're going to live by faith, you're going to endure people who are going to laugh at your faith and say, you guys really believe you believe you, you know you, you you know that all your Christian ancestors have been saying this for two thousand years that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. You guys have done a lot of movies about this. Your pastors preach about it all the time, and all this stuff. Actually, our pastors preach not much about it anymore. That's part of the problem. But nevertheless, Noah had nine hundred and fifty years, six hundred years before the flood. He was alive. His environment was very much like ours. A lot of sin, a lot of rejection of God was rising. And according to Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, it says the earth was filled with violence. Sound familiar? The earth was filled with violence. But just like our world today, even with all the violence and hatred that's so prevalent, most people are not doing violent things, even then or now. Most people are just seeking pleasure and happiness. Almost everybody you meet is seeking pleasure and happiness, yet apart from God. They're seeking it, yet apart from God. They're seeking it in relationships. They're seeking it in partying. They're seeking it in careers. They're seeking it in sexual things, all these different things. They're seeking pleasure and happiness, but they'll never find it apart from God. But they're seeking it, and they were seeking it in Noah's time too. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter uh, 24, verse 38, Speaking of the days of Noah, he said, For as it was in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. That doesn't seem bad, right? Eating, drinking, we all have to do that. Getting married doesn't seem like 
until the day Noah entered the ark. But the point Jesus was making was, even though everyone wasn't in violence, they had no regard for God. They just wanted their lives the way they wanted them. Does that sound familiar to our culture today? Uh, give me just enough God that's Easter and Christmas and I'm good. The rest of it, I control the other 363 days. Of course, they don't even really give Easter and Christmas in many cases anymore. But just like our own day, people were well aware, that they were well aware of their ancestors knowing and serving God. For goodness sake, Adam was alive while many of the world was going the course of the world. They literally could go ask Adam, what was it like when you were in the garden? But no, they didn't want God. Remember, knowledge of God does not mean the acceptance of God. Two different things. In our modern arrogance, we would say things like this. You have people in the Boston area, New England area, which has become a very non-Christian, it's become a very, very not interested in the gospel as a whole. They would look back to some of their ancestors in Puritans and say, they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, those Puritans. Yeah, they navigated the Atlantic and somehow built the country and all this other stuff, but they've just, you know, they, they instead... They could look back and say, maybe we should pick up the same Bible they did. In Noah's time, many knew Adam, or indirectly knew of Adam, certainly created by God. But just like today, evidence can be ignored. And what they could see and hear, they remained blinded to. Even though they could see it, they remained blinded to it. And yet, on Noah's side... On the other hand, even what Noah couldn't see, he couldn't see a future flood, but he believed in it anyway. He believed in what God was saying. Noah had never seen anything like what God described. It's doubtful rain had ever fallen prior to the flood. I mean, we, we have a lot of reasons to believe that there was no rain, that the earth was covered by a mist, and um, yet he believed God's warning. Dr. J. Oswald Sanders says, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as the seen. Can you treat the future of the rapture or that you'll be with God forever in heaven as you're already seated in the heavenlies? Or because it's not true that you can be so heavenly minded and you're no earthly good. If you're heavenly minded, you'll be a lot of earthly good. Enoch was heavenly minded. That's why he walked right into heaven. Noah was heavenly minded. They had their eyes. We're going to see this in chapter 11. It says, it, it tells us that the patriarchs, their eyes were set on heaven. Building a boat for something that's never happened before looks pretty foolish, doesn't it? People are like, what? what in the world? Why would you need a boat? And it's hard work to build, and it's sweat, and it's hard to preach, and it's hard to do the will of God against a world that's against God, isn't it? Very hard. All of us find that hard. Noah was according to the scriptures, a preacher of righteousness. People don't like preachers of righteousness. They like preachers of ear-tickling. That's what they like. That's why I said in the latter times, people heap up for themselves. No one likes a preacher of righteousness unless you've come to righteousness. You guys probably like preaching of righteousness because you are now in righteousness. I do too. My wife will tell you, when I'm not preaching, I'm listening to men who challenge me, not men that tickle me. I almost always listen to guys who will get in my grill, so to speak, spiritually speaking. doesn't bother me because I know Jesus would do it. I know Paul would do it. I know John the Baptist would do it. I know Moses would do it. 
That's the way, you know, they were making men that could walk through the fire, men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've been called to labor in the vineyard, not lounge around and live our own self-planned lives. Did you hear me on that? We've been called to labor in the vineyard, not lounge around and live our own self-planned lives. Faith lives according to God's call and will in our life. And the work of the Lord is to be done together. I'm going to close with this quote from Warren Wearsby. He said, the best way to grow in faith is to walk with the faithful. Look back at the lives of faith, but also surround your life with people of like faith and grow together in faith. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we come again to you now. We just thank you that we can look back at the lives of people who were just like us. They, if you cut them, they bleed like us. They weren't super saints. They weren't special. But, Lord, they yielded their hearts. And, Lord, we, we can be encouraged. You know, we can, we can develop by your grace and by the work of your spirit faith like Abel, faith like Enoch, faith like Noah. You may not call us to some of the things you called them to, but, Lord, you will use us to fulfill our calling. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would desire to diligently seek you and that you'd stir that desire in us. You'd increase our faith. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. You know, I've been giving every week um, before we close just an invitation, and I'm going to do it again. I I won't belabor the point that long, but uh, for those of you that are online and maybe you're Maybe you're in the room here. I don't know. There may be someone sitting in the room that's never given their heart and life to Christ. Uh, We've been talking about this word faith. And faith and believe, matter of fact, the word believe was right in our text as well. You you have to, to exercise faith, you have to believe what God says. You have to believe that he is and he's a rewarder. Well, the way he rewards us with the gift of salvation is to believe on his son, to believe in the name of Jesus, to believe what God says about us. And, and God has a few things. To, you, you know enough to be saved if you can understand like a child, the Bible tells us. Just a little child. So if you were giving a child the gospel, you're not giving them every theological pillar in the history of the church. You're telling them some elementary things if you have to come in like childlike faith. You're saying, do you believe that God is the only way to heaven? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's a fundamental thing. There's not many roads to heaven. I'm talking to those of you that are maybe on the screen right now. There's not a thousand roads to heaven. All roads don't lead to heaven. Only one road leads to heaven. It's the narrow road. So you have to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. You have to believe that you are a sinner and that the holiest life you could live is still filthy rags. Do you know that? The best, the best we've ever done, the best day I've ever lived is still filthy rags. And that keeps us humble post-salvation, by the way, body of Christ. Once you've been saved, you realize, whoa, even my righteousness is filthy rag. That keeps us in the presence of God and grace. But I'm speaking again, if you've never come to Christ, you have to believe that he's the only way. You have to believe that you need to be saved. You have to believe that your sins need to be forgiven. And then you have to say, Lord, I surrender. I give my life to you. So I'm going to just pray. And if if there's anyone uh, out there watching online, God has spoken to me. I've been running from God for way too long. I just heard Cain. That's me. I, I, I just do whatever I want. But God is telling me that I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. 
You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Like I said before, it wasn't the coronavirus that killed Kobe Bryant. It was an unexpected, just normal day of, I'm just gonna go watch my daughter play basketball. Most people don't die of the virus. They die of a million other things. Amen? Most people are not expecting that car accident. They're not expecting to get cancer. They're not expecting all that. So again, if you're uh, watching online, God is telling you, you don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. So let's pray. And if God is speaking to you, I pray that you would come to your senses as I wisely did 25 years ago this year. Lord, I came. Finally, I had fought for, like Abdu Murray said, for 12 years. And he tried to compare. Was Islam true or was Jesus true? He said, finally, the answer was easy. Accepting it was the hard part. He knew almost immediately Jesus was correct and, wait, and battled for 12 years against his own flesh. If that's you and God's speaking to you, I've belabored it because I think God's speaking to somebody. I think he's been speaking to somebody for weeks. I don't know who you are, but when you finally come to Christ, please send us a note at questions at Calvary Chapel RVA because I'm sure that God's been speaking. But if that's you, humble yourself, come to Christ, receive his grace, and just pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. And Lord, I admit that I am a sinner, that I've been resisting you, that I've been wanting my own way, but Lord, my own way will lead to hell. And Lord, I just confess all of my sins and ask that you would cleanse me. And I believe you're the only way that I can receive eternal life. And so Jesus, please save me, wash me, write my name in the Lamb's book of life. For I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus, from now and forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to grow now, just like Abel, just like Enoch, just like Noah, just like many others, Lord. Receive me into your family. Wash me. And Lord, help me now. 